0: 21st chapter of John, beginning verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, We will also come with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? Didn't catch anything last night. And they answered him, not a single fish, not a single one. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he, was, he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish carefully, the word there in the Greek means carefully, as though it had to be this way for it to be prepared exactly right. Carefully placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land Full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were no so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. She called. I recognized her voice. She calls me often when she gets in a in a spirit of depression. And we talked about the concern of God for each of us. And she wanted to know about God's concern and God's care. And when I finished my little discourse on the concern of God, she said, I don't think He gives a damn about me. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? And that's why I love John 21. For there are three manifestations of the love, the concern of our Lord for us. Who He is and how much He cares for us. In the first, there, He's there instructing disciples on how to fish. In the second, He's fixing breakfast for them. And in the third, He's instructing this representative disciple concerning his purpose for his life and the larger purpose for us. And the thing that impresses me right up front is is that there is no distinction between the incidents. In the last incident, he is doing nothing less than giving the marching orders to this head apostle concerning his purpose for the church and for his life individually. And yet he spends no less time on fishing, fishermen, and breakfast. And he doesn't make a distinction. One commentator picks up on it and says, there is no break or gap in these stories. The break is in our mind. For the Lord makes no distinction between spiritual work and breakfast, between fishing on Saturday and worshiping on Sunday. Yeah, we make the distinction. And we compartmentalize life like this. We have the sacred and the secular. And we have what you do in the secular and we have what you do in the the sacred and we divide them or we separate them. And we make a distinction between the chemistry class and the chapel, between racquetball and religion, between the kitchen and the quiet time, but our Lord doesn't. I want you to consider with me this morning His concern for your life. And when you do, remember that our Lord has already finished what He came to do on this earth. He's completed His task. He's through here. When He shouted, teletelestai, it is finished. It meant that He had done everything He had come to do. And in a few hours, he is getting ready to ascend to that incomparable glory of heaven. And yet he's not preoccupied with that, not like us. I found out that if I'm going off on a trip on Wednesday, that wipes out Monday and Tuesday for me. And, and, and we're so bound by the immediate. We're so preoccupied with the present. Here is our Lord who has already done everything He came to do. And He's anticipating that moment when He'll go back to that unmatched wonder of heaven. And yet He's still concerned about fishermen and fishing. About hungry folks. And about a disciple who needs to know that He's forgiven. I want you to come with me to the, to the Sea of Tiberias to see it. You know the story. This past week these disciples had spent was unforgettable. Jesus had been cramming them with a cram course on what they were to know about heavy theology. If you read John 12 through chapter 17, you'll find some of the most remarkable statements ever made by any man Heavy theology about the Holy Spirit, about His presence, about His ascension into heaven. He was cramming them, all of this into one week, what it took months to disseminate. And then it all came crashing down. All of their hopes and dreams were nailed to a cross. It seemed like Jerusalem was up for grabs now and everything was coming loose. So Simon said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I understand and what I know. I'm going back to the familiar and the secure. I'm going to row out in the middle of the lake and I'm just going to sit in that boat and bob around until my head clears. Maybe he should and the rest of the disciples should have done what Jesus told them to do. He told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait there, to tarry there. Maybe they should have. Seems like an an experience of rebellion, doesn't it? Well, nevertheless, when Jesus came to the shore, he didn't shout out to them, Hey, you guys, what are you doing here? Why didn't you do what I told you to? You never listened to me. Now beach this boat and line up. No, he didn't rebuke them. And he didn't condemn them and he didn't criticize them for they needed hope and they needed encouragement and they needed what that woman said when she called me on the phone. She needed to know that he cared for them. And so in that first incident, he's instructing these fishermen about fishing. And when I see what he does, I understand that everything in our life is important to Him and that it all matters to Him and that He does not separate the sacred from the secular and He comes to us in the midst of our business failures and He wants us to know that He is concerned about that and He wants us to succeed and find fulfillment in it And he understood that these fishermen who lived from hand to mouth, if they missed one catch, they might go hungry for a week. If they missed one catch, the creditors might be at their door the next day for bills they couldn't pay. And he cares about that. Most of you know that I grew up on a little farm in West Texas. And I remember my father, especially in the hot summertime when the score when the sun was scorching that dry land cotton crop. I remember my father used, you know, talking to my mother about, you know, I don't know whether we're going to make enough to pay the bills or not. I don't know whether we can stay on the farm or not. Now children are good observers, but they're poor interpreters. And the way I interpret that was that my father was worried about whether we were going to survive or not. And I remember him telling mother from time to time, you know, if there's anything else I could do, I would do it, but I, I don't know anything else I can do. You know, I'm stuck out here on this farm. That worried me a great deal. And I observed that every time Sunday came around, my father shut down everything. He'd rather lose a crop than work on Sunday. And He'd get us all together and we'd go to church on Sunday because I observed that What went on in that little church in my hometown was very vital, very important to him. He supported it with his his presence and with his money, and he wanted us to. I don't know whether he ever understood or not. I don't know whether it ever dawned on him or not. I wish I had the opportunity of asking him. Did he understand that our Lord was as much concerned about what happened to that little cotton crop out there on that Dryland Farm, as he was concerned about what happened inside that church building. And I know I didn't understand it, but now I do that some of the most important work you will do is not what you do here within the walls of these, church, this church on Sunday, but what you do out there in that business, in that classroom, in that home on Monday. And so Martin Luther said every job is to glorify God and every worker is sacred to him. And you've heard that story off told about the man who went to the quarry and asked the person, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm cutting a rock, can't you see? He asked a second, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a living. I'm making $200 a week doing this. He asked a third, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. And he understood that what goes on out there in your secular world is as sacred to God as what you do when you come here. And so G. Cabal Market puts it like this. Jesus Christ would have never said to me, I will make you a fisher of men. He knows perfectly well that I'm no fisherman. He did come to me one day when I sat at a desk with boys around me teaching and said, Follow me and I'll make you a teacher of men. I went after him on the line of my capacity. Suppose he had not called me to this work as I sat at the desk. Then that work would have been as sacred as this. Or suppose he has not called you to give up your office in the city but to stay there. Then your office is a holy place if you're a holy man. Suppose you're called... All of life becomes sacred. If we could but realize this, then we'd go back to a week radiant with light and joy. One of the first movies that I recall seeing was Snow White, hate to to admit that, and The Seven Dwarfs. You know, famous characters, not Clint Eastwood. (laughs) Paul Hanks, or whatever his name is. What's, What's his name? Tom, Tom Hanks, but Snoopy and Dopey and Sleepy and all those, you know. And, and the way the movie opens you know, is, is like whistle while you work and, and the song, you know, they sing, so hum a happy tune. It won't take long if there's a song to set the pace. Only in a fairy tale could that ever happen or in the family of faith. It happens when people understand that God is concerned about what they do. And now he comes to these disciples and he fixes breakfast for them. And when they brought the boat to shore, they found this charcoal fire laid there. And I made emphasis of the Greek word on that charcoal fire. There was carefully placed just so the food would be exquisite and perfect. Just in line there were fish cooking. And I want you to remember that the man who's fixing breakfast is the man who created the world. The origin and the object of all creation is there fixing breakfast. The one from whom flows the source of sustaining power, holds this universe together, is placing fish on a fire. God grilling fish. And the one who came for the purpose of redemption, to pardon the sin of the world and to bring a kingdom of spirituality into existence is there fixing fire and cooking breakfast. God grilling fish. Why? Because he's, hung, he's concerned and he cares that you're hungry and that you have need. That's why. Because he knew some men who had been working all night and caught a thing. And they were hungry and tired and wet and cold. And that matters to him. And there's a significant statement here that there were 153 fish. And I was curious as to why they counted. And I found some answers, I think, that satisfy me. One commentator said that at that time a a zoologist had identified 153 kinds, different kinds of fish that existed in the Sea of Tiberias. In other words, he gave them a fish of every kind. He satisfied their hunger because he cared about it. John Bence was a friend of Martin Luther's and a contemporary of the Reformation and because he was a contemporary of the Reformation he incurred the wrath of Charles V King of Spain and Charles V sent some troops into town to arrest John Bence and when he saw the troops marching on his town, he knew they were coming for him, and so he grabbed a loaf of bread and a little water, and he ate on the run. And he went outside this little village where he lived, and he slipped inside of a farmer's barn, and he climbed up in the loft and hid in the hay. It wasn't long until he'd eaten all his bread, and he got a little hungry. And one morning when he got up, an old hen flew up in the loft and laid an egg, And he took that egg and he ate it. And for 14 straight days, this same old hen flew up in the loft and laid an egg and he would eat it. And that's how he survived. On the 15th day, the old hen didn't come back. He took that as a sign from God. He climbed down from the loft, went into the town. The troops were gone. One afternoon I went out to King's daughter's nursing home and I started in the room of this little old lady who was not totally bedfast, but, but incapacitated. And as I started into her room, I heard her saying, Now come on, honey, eat this ice cream. Eat this ice cream, honey. And I kind of stood behind her and I saw this old lady bent over the bed of her roommate to this woman who was totally helpless and she was feeding her some ice cream from a little Dixie cup. And when I put my hand on her shoulder and she knew that I was there, she said, can't get her to eat anything. About all she will eat is ice cream. So I'm giving her mine. Did you know that the concern of God goes all the way down to breakfast? And this must have been a day when things are buzzing and there's electricity in the air. These men saw the risen Lord, and they knew it was Him. In fact, one of them put his coke around him and dove in the water. What a strange thing to do. And they were aware that our Lord was there, and they must have been, they must have been on fire with excitement. And then all of a sudden a hush comes. Not a word is said. For as Jesus begins to serve them, the fish, they see those nail prints in his hands. It stopped their, la- their, their talk. And a gentle breeze blew across the lake of Galilee, and his robe fl- ruffled for a moment, and they must have gasped as they saw that open wound in his side. I want you to hear me now. When you s- draw up the the chair to your breakfast in the morning, gentlemen. Remember that the Lord with wounds in His hands fed you. And I want you to remember, ladies, if you can, when you fix breakfast for the umpteenth time to children that take you for granted and a husband that hardly notices, I want you to understand that our Lord with nails in His hands fed you and feeds you and I was out walking the other morning and I was thinking about well how can I make this sound right for people in Ethiopia who are starving to death and I was walking along there kind of in an attitude of prayer thinking about this And I was saying, well, Lord, how does that wash to those folks? How how is it that you can say to them, our Lord's concerned about your hunger? And I heard him speak to my heart, through you. Don't say that our Lord would not feed the hungry. If they're not fed, it's because the feeder hasn't been faithful. And that is us. One last manifestation, please. He calls Simon Peter aside. Now remember that Simon Peter is the man who denied his Lord three times. He failed three times. And I know that a person who fails that often must feel like a failure. And a person who in the moment of truth, in the moment when he should have succeeded, he failed. I know he must feel terribly ashamed and worthless. And I imagine that Simon must have said to himself, a hundred times, I had my chance and I failed. And there's no other thing that I can do of value. And so Jesus comes to him. Are you hearing me, young people? Because Jesus wants you to know that he has this wonderful place of service and ministry picked out just for you. And he said to Simon, do you love me more than these? And I think he must have waved his hand out motioning to fish and nets and boats. And when he did, Simon saw those nail prints again. Do you love me more than these things? Well, you see, there's more to life than nets and boats and fish. It doesn't matter how long you live if you're not doing anything with your life. And he must have motioned like this to these disciples. Maybe he did it that way. Do you love me more than these folks here, these other men? And and, and as he did that, he, he saw those nail prints again. Simon, I want you to know that there is a place for you in life, but that place means that nets and boats and fish are left behind, and relationships are forsaken, and it must be me alone. And so a tyrant king captured a knight and his family. And he brought the knight in before his family. he said, what would you give me if I gave you your liberty? And the knight said, I would give you half my possessions, sir. He said, what if I set your children free? What would you give? He said, I would give all my possessions. And the tyrant king said, what would you give? for the life of your wife and the knight said I would gladly lay down my life for her freedom and the tyrant king was so impressed with the man's devotion that he set him free as they were walking away the knight said to his wife did you notice how handsome and strong was that king she said I did not notice his face I could only see the face of the one who would die for me. And when one and when one understands what it is that Jesus has done, he cannot look at another. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Fish, nets, boats, relationships are not that important to life. And I should quit there, but I need to mention this one last thing. Jesus was thinking of us, for in essence he said to Simon, Simon I have sheep, I don't want them to be scattered without a guardian and without a guide. Are you willing to tend them? He was thinking about us. He was saying in essence somewhere down in history there'll be those people who belong to this little congregation called First Baptist Durant. And I want to be sure somebody is there to care for them. Does he care about you? You can take it to the bank. And the poet put it like this, a whisper in the wind as it blows across my heart, I hear you call my name so gentle and low. You asked for everything I've counted dear. At first, my trembling hands were afraid to let go. But after all you've given, and after all you've done, after all it cost you to pay for my soul, how could I ever say no? For you see, the big question this morning is not... Does God care for me? The big question is, what am I going to do in response to His love? Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that You'll help us to see nail prints and to hear Your gentle voice and to know of your concern for us, to feed us when we're hungry, to enter our farms and our jobs and our schoolrooms because you care about what happens there and you let us know that we don't have to go in through life unforgiven, hopeless failures Lord God I pray for a response to your grace worthy of your sacrifice for I pray it in Jesus name there are three invitations one invitation It's for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Why do you wait to do that? Would you come today to say, I today place my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. I commit myself to His His, His will. Maybe you need to come to place your life in the fellowship of the church. Or to recommit yourself to Christ, to His call, to your life, wherever it is. To be a better parent, a better husband or wife, teacher or worker to the glory of God. Whatever God leads you to do, would you do it while we stand to sing? We invite you to come.